Uh, today, we're starting a new series in our worship. Uh, we, we're talking about the faithfulness of God. And through the years, this church has had the faithfulness of God on it. And we're starting a series on the church today. And uh, I, I just, it's just a mini-series. And uh, I didn't know what, to, what scripture, there's so much in the scripture to talk about. We could spend a year on the church if we went through all the scriptures carefully. So uh, rather than keep you here for a year, I thought maybe we would just have a, a very short introductory one. And then you'll have to accept that when I say it says in John 17 that it actually does. But if you're a dutiful student and want to check your sources, like all dutiful students should check their sources, then you can look it up after, can't you, homework. And if you're not a student and you're a visitor, we love you too. And uh, welcome too. Okay, so you're in Ephesians 5 now. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Lord, be with us as we look at these words and this subject. Open our eyes again, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Not in the middle. So, <laughs> so church in the Bible has two words that are translated into English, church. One is uh, my Greek pronunciation, will have to, you'll have to forgive me for this, is keriki, or keriki. Okay? And from that, which means belonging to the Lord, we get our word, church. You probably recognise the Germanic form more, so kirka. And in Russia, interestingly, cherkov. Isn't that interesting? So, when we talk about Rosar Church, it's actually called Cherkov Rosar. Okay. And the second word is Ecclesia. Okay. And if you, that means the assembly of the people. And if you're into languages, you'll recognise immediately that the French for church, Eglise, comes from that. And the Spanish, Iglesia. Who speaks Spanish here? Someone speaks Spanish? Okay, so let's hear it. <laughs> oh, go on, shout it out. Iglesia. It's got to come with that sort of Mediterranean arm waving. You're not going to do it? Oh. Too shy. Oh, 
Say it again. Ecclesia. Well, there you go, see? Just like Ecclesia. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, right, okay. So someone, who speaks French? Someone want to shout out the French? Eglise. The Greek? Ecclesia. I had that in my original rough notes, and I. Ah. Okay. Biblical Greek being slightly different. What's your view of the church? That's the first question I've got for you. What's your view of the church? A lot of people view the church as boring or irrelevant, irrelevant to life. A social club they don't want to join. They can look at it as not exactly where the action is. Is that what you say these days? What do you say these days? The equivalent of that, you know, 1960s, 70s phrase. What, where, was that? where, where is the action, man? <laughs> oh. You know, I met some Muslims at the Freshers' Fair and talked to them. And they said, of course, we respect Jesus. We respect Jesus. But the church... They don't respect the church. Do you respect the church? There's a... There's a, there's a philosopher who wrote this about the church. Jesus turned water into wine... The church has managed something much more difficult. It's turned wine into water. <laughs> but that's, that, I mean, that does sum up some people's attitude to the church, doesn't it? Something that was really impactful, something that had massive impact on history, has just got watered down and watered down, and the message is diluted and diluted, and do we care anymore? Someone else said this. Who wants to belong to a church that has nothing to offer but a secular gospel and a loss of nerve for mission? Nothing to offer but a secular gospel and a loss of nerve for mission. Of course, the two go together. You may have seen that uh, <clears throat> Williams is stepping down as Archbishop of Canterbury and... Uh, so they're looking for a new one. And apparently the choice is difficult. And uh, they've had three meetings thus far, this commission that has to recommend the appointment, and they still can't agree. And all the bishops are queuing up saying, well, we don't want the job. Who wants that job? You know, Archbishop of Canada, they can't, even if they could agree on someone, they've got to twist their arm to do it. It's quite interesting, isn't it? Because... Rowan Williams has had such a rough ride and he's, he's you know, so they're, they're looking for someone who's got all sorts of gifts and all sorts of abilities and uh, someone who can really uh, knock the church into shape. So I'm applying. <laughs> I don't know whether they'll have me, but, you know, I'll, I'll put my, I'll, I'll do it. I don't think I'd last long, do you? What's your view of church? 
Secondly, what's the biblical view of church? In John 17, Jesus prays. And as he prays, he's praying in the context of leaving the disciples, going to the cross. This is his last time, his last full evening with the disciples. And he's just in this mode, if you like. He's just been going through a lot of teaching over supper, you know, and, and talking to them over supper. A lot of uh, stuff gone into their heads. And, you know, someone's got to remember it because they're going to write it down later. That was a slight joke. But this, it's really bad this morning, guys. Look, when I clap, it's a joke. You laugh, okay? You want a sign? Uh, sorry, yeah, Dom, could you laugh now? Sign. So, uh, <laughs> so he's, he's doing this final prayer. And the final prayer is all about the Lord, Father in heaven, and Jesus, and the disciples, the church. And he's, he prays some amazing things. I was going to read this whole chapter to you. Maybe you ought to do that this afternoon or this evening. Read John 17 and read it slowly. A lot of people avoid John 17 because it so, seems so convoluted, you know. I pray for them that I and the Father, the Father in me, that I be... Or, or you get sort of uh, dizzy in John 17. Read it slowly. When you think, I don't understand it, stop! And read it again. Read it slowly. And you'll get the wonder of what he's saying. And in it, he says this. The church should be the glory of God. The glory of God. The church is to reveal the presence of God on earth as Jesus did. Wherever Jesus went, he revealed the presence of God. If you like, sometimes we say he took the kingdom of God with him wherever he went. So he revealed the impact and power of the kingdom of God. He revealed... Or he was the place where, the person where, God touched earth. The church is to be the place where God touches earth. It's, if you like, to be the the place which reveals God to people. We often say, Lord, we want your presence in this church. We prayed that before this meeting, out in our little prayer time, us musicians together. We prayed, Lord, reveal your presence. John mentioned it. When you're strangely warmed, when you know God is here. In the early church, you know, they, Paul says to the Corinthians, you know, when the, someone comes in, they'll say, wow, God is here. I just love that. It's one of my favorite bits. I'd love people to walk in through that door and say, wow, God is here. I think sometimes some people do, you know. Even here, even in this church, even in this school. It's a school hall transformed into the place where God is. Isn't that wonderful? That's the amazing thing about the church. A school hall turned into the place where the God of the universe touches earth. Isn't that amazing? Don't you feel that's exciting? Next Sunday when you come, 
God will be here. It's a place where God is. It's a miracle. It's a transformation of miraculous proportions that this school hall becomes a place where God is because we walk in the door, the people of God. Ah, wow. Come, blow. Is that, what, what? Do you really mean it? Yeah, I really mean it. This is where God is. You know, but I'm sitting on this chair next to someone I know. Yeah, but God is here. The glory of God. The church also has to be the word of God, rooted in scripture, guided by the word. Guided by the word. Let the word of God be on our lips and in our hearts. Church. I'm talking to the church, to you guys who are in this church. Let the word of God dwell in us richly. Let the word of God be our guide. Yeah, sure, we have to interpret it for the 21st century, but let's not dilute it. Interpretation and dilution are two different things. We don't want dilution, but we do want good interpretation into our current situation. Do you understand the difference? So we're not going to compromise. Jesus didn't say, I pray that they may, through the centuries, compromise in order to adapt to their culture. Don't find that in John 17. You can read John 17 as slowly as you like and you won't find that. No, but we stand on the word. The eternal word of God. This church stands on the word of God. You know, there's many standard evangelical statements of faith. Lots of churches have them in their sort of, somewhere in their system, there's this statement of faith. Lots of churches have them. and You know, always, there's something about the inspired word of God is our guide for all matters of faith and life. I want to tell you that in this church, we take that seriously. It's our guide in all matters of faith and life. The word of God should be rooted in us. It's a cultural relevance to today. The church is to speak God's truth into our culture by being who we are, by being people who follow the word of God. The second, or the third thing is it's the joy of God. John 17, he talks about the joy of God. The joy of the Lord. Now, joy is not something, it's not a word that is used much in secular life these days, is it? It's a bit of an old-fashioned word, joy. When we say, we, we don't tend to look at people and say, oh, he's joyful. It's a bit sort of out of our vocabulary now. But joy is missing in the world. They have a culture, it seems to me, that is joyless. Oh, it's got humour. Mainly sarcastic, mainly sexual. But it hasn't got joy. Because joy is deep down. It's 
the result of a fundamental change that happens in us. We have joy because we're in right relationship with God. Because sin has gone. Because guilt has gone. Wow, we can be joyful. It's great when people come in and say, well, I love the atmosphere here. What are they touching? Well, they're touching some imperfect uh, sort of exposure of that joy. I know it's imperfect. We're, we're imperfect people. You know, but they're touching something that's in us. Christians. Joy. You know, Paul talks about joy unspeakable. And I used to have this... Um, when I was a kid, I used to have this, uh, this sort of vision of joy unspeakable. Um, you know, it was nothing relevant to life or anything like that. It was just this sort of someone laughing without any sound coming out. You know how children think. Joy unspeakable. This joy unspeakable, isn't it? funny isn't it so it, is an, it is a challenging phrase where, where is your joy have you lost your joy where's it gone <laughs> it's deep down it's a right relationship with God that produces joy and the church is full of people in a right relationship with God so it should be full of an atmosphere of joy you know, life throws difficulties at us. There are all sorts of issues floating around in your life. This is true of all of us. But when we get together and we're the church together, then it should be full of joy. An atmosphere that despite the difficulties. Hey, this, this, this could be mesmerizing to people in the world. Mesmerizing. They don't see it anywhere else. The church is unique because it's full of people who have uniquely restored their relationship with God. No other religion does that. You won't find joy in a mosque. They're struggling to keep all the rules. You won't find joy in a mosque. You find joy in the Christian church because they have, by grace, been released from all the rules. (laughs) Wow, the church is a magnificent place to be. It's a pa- I'm passionate about the church. It's a passionate place to be. It's where God's glory is. It's where the word of God speaks into our lives. It's where joy is present and it bubbles up amongst us. Hallelujah. I could say, turn to the person next to you and say, I can see a little bit of joy in you. Okay, turn to the person next to you and say, I can see some joy in you. (laughs) United in the love of God. Jesus prays for them, they'll be united in the love of God. Well, of course, why not? It's absurd to think that we couldn't be united. God has restored your relationship with him. Because of your trust in Jesus Christ and your faith in the cross of Christ dealing with everything that is wrong with you, you have this new relationship with God. This joyful relationship. This love relationship. 
And everyone else who joins the church is the same. Oh, that wasn't the joke. (laughs) Everyone else is the same. Hallelujah. They're all forgiven people. So why don't we forgive each other? God's forgiven them. Now, of course, I'm not saying that we don't need to change. Of course, all of us need to change. But that sense of joyful acceptance of one another should be part of church life. You know, unity is, in church life is a really, really important thing. And I've suffered periods in church life of disunity, and it is horrendous. Is horrendous. It's horrendous because it denies these basic things that we've all forgiven sinners. So let's forgive one another. Doesn't mean we don't seek to change. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't confront one another. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't say to someone that what you said wasn't helpful. But we say it in love. We say it out of relationship. We, 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 we're people who are united. Because God united us. How awful then uh, would it be? How absurd not to have a unity and a community together. This is King's Community Church. Com-unity. Do you notice it? It's word, word search time. com Unity. Community. A common unity. The church is a place where reconciliation is paramount to people's thinking. Reconciliation with God, reconciliation with one another. We're reconcilers. We're reconcilers. The gospel makes us reconcilers. The gospel makes us mediators. Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. We, we become mediators between man and God. We, we proclaim the gospel to others. We, we forgive one another. And John 17 also says we're on a mission into the world. Making disciples, being witnesses. You know, Jesus commissioned us to go into all the world and make disciples. That's not in John 17, but something similar it is. So you know that God is at work in our lives, that we as a church might be effective in mission together. You know, it might be that later on you speak to someone who you prayed and then the opportunity came and somehow you didn't have the right words and you feel guilty. You know, we've just heard exactly that testimony, that you feel, oh, Lord, I should have said something and I didn't and I'm sorry. And, but God will always produce more opportunity because he's on a mission. He'll always produce another opportunity. He'll always be ready to use you again and again and again because he's changed you, he's transformed you you're part of the church now and the church is on a worldwide mission to reach the world making disciples being witnesses 
Now, another passage that's important in the Bible for the church, secondly, the first one was John 17, the second one is Acts chapter 2. This is a very important chapter for the church. This is when the church started, on the day of Pentecost, the church began. And there's certain characteristics of the church that we see in that passage. In Acts 2, what we see is that the church is from all the nations, united in praise. So it's from the nations. That, you know, when you read Acts 2, there's this great list of where they were from. And you can read through it and you think, wow, it covered most of the known world at that time. Jews were dispersed around the, uh, around the world, trading and uh, in that economy. And they would come back together to Jerusalem for these festivals. And so they were, they were there together from all over the world. There were people from everywhere. There were people from everywhere. Isn't that wonderful? There were people with different backgrounds and different languages. And they all praised God together. How come, they said, we can understand all this? Well, it was a unique experience for those people there. This was the birth of the church. It was bound to be unique. But you know when people praise God in tongues, sometimes they're speaking not tongues of angels, but tongues of men. Did you know that? And sometimes you hear reports of people who translate for them. (laughs) And they realize they were saying something in Russian or German or a language they don't know. Praising God. Isn't that wonderful? God is at work in the church in order that it might be a place where everyone is comfortable. Everyone. Because when we get to glory, there's going to be people there from everywhere. I know, you know, this sounds like I'm teaching you to suck eggs. But it's true. There will be people there from everywhere. You won't be able to get to glory and say to the Lord... I want to meet someone from Turkmenistan. And the Lord says to you, Oh, forgot Turkmenistan. Mm, Too late now. It's not going to be like that. God will say to you, And which year? Oh, 1215, please. Okay, let's go. Meet someone who was saved in 1215 in Turkmenistan. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you'll have to say in 1215, no one got saved in Turkmenistan. Who knows? When we get there, we'll find out. There is so much exciting about the church. Do you understand this? There's so much exciting stuff. Have you ever wanted to meet someone from Turkmenistan? Oh... You know, it's, it's so exciting. People are being saved all over the world. And when we're in England and we don't see much of it, we are, we are not understanding the full picture. When you understand the full picture, when you see what's going on around the world, when you understand the power of the gospel, you understand why the church continues to grow and grow and grow as it has always done and always will do till the age, end of the age. That is what God is doing. That is what he promised he would do. And that is what he's doing now. 
This church is international, worldwide, glorious people of God. Hallelujah. And you're part of it. What is, what is bad about that? What was, I mean, it is tremendous, isn't it? Fantastic. You can go to Freshers Fair and you can talk to these people from all around the world. I I spoke to this bloke. I said, where are you from? He says, Sri Lanka. I said, oh, we got a Sri Lankan in the church. Stand up and do (laughs) it. Yeah. You can meet people from all over the world who are Christians, who are part of the Church of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's so exciting because that's how it started. That's how it's continued. And that's how it will continue to the end of time. It was a life-changing experience for them as well in that Acts 2. When they came, became Christians, for many of them it meant ostracization by their families. And so the church became the new family. And so there was much interaction in terms of helping people with food and money. And uh, goods and possessions were loosely held so that you could share them all out. It was just an amazing time because... People were being joined to this family. See, in Acts 2, it's very important that what you understand is that people didn't just raise their hand and say, okay, uh, I want to pray the prayer. You know, it wasn't just that. The preacher at the front said, if you want to know Jesus, pray this prayer after me. It wasn't like that. What it was was, (laughs) what it was was, what it was, 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 <laughs> yes, uh, now I'm lost, right, what it, what it was, was that you committed yourself to a radical, total change in your life, that's what happened, you heard about Jesus, you recognised his authority, you recognised who he was, And you knew that you needed this Jesus to be your saviour and that it would change your life. And not only would it change your life in Acts 2, for many of them, it would change your family as well. So no wonder this group of people in Acts 2 became very committed to one another. No wonder it became very uh, quickly, within a day or two, a massive new family in the kingdom of God. Because Acts 2 says this, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. You know, last week we were talking about Mary being amongst, Mary the mother of Jesus being amongst the disciples in the upper room, being there in Pentecost. Mary was at Pentecost. What do you think she thought as she started speaking in tongues? Whoa! But suddenly, it's not 120. It's 3,120. And suddenly, the church is born as a community of people who are committed to one another. They met daily. If I said to you, if I owner had said to you during the notices, the prayer meeting is on 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock, I know it's early, but it's 8 o'clock every day, you go, oh, wouldn't you? Oh, no, how can I get out of this? That would be most people's reaction in this church, I should think, you know, if we were really, really honest. How, I'll go once or twice, maybe, you know. 
They met every day in the temple courts. They worshipped God together every day. It was an explosion of a new community. It was the explosion, the beginning, the bursting forth of something that would transform the world's history. It happened in those moments. On that day, it's transforming the world, starting from this little place in Jerusalem, this little place, this upper room, this tiny place, something like our office suite round the corner. So when Envision go to lunch, you can imagine. Imagine this was Pentecost Day, you know, and we crammed 120 people in here, and Jesus suddenly comes into the midst. Boom! Whoa! Imagine that. Imagine us suddenly hearing this rushing wind and this powerful sound and suddenly we're all speaking in tongues and there's these tongues of flame in the air. Whoa! And we're sort of all crashing about the place, praising God and we stumble down the stairs and we burst out into the car park and we're praising. Imagine it was like that and the whole town gathered round. People were coming from everywhere. The police cordons were there, you know, don't go beyond here. It's packed. Imagine that. This is the start of the church. This is the beginning of something God would send to every nation, tribe and tongue. What a privilege to have been there. Yeah, what a privilege to have been there. But what a privilege to be here now when God is still at work, still doing the same things. Are you excited about the church? You know, they didn't say, well, this is a nice community and we're getting very nice and cosy here, but we need to do some missions, so we'll set up some mission societies over there and they can go do that stuff while we have nice tea and coffee here. They didn't say that. Because it was all integrated together. You go on mission, you plant a church. You you arrive in Corinth, you start a church. You go somewhere else, you start another church. You start churches, 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 multiplying churches. That's how it began. That's how it spread through all the world, the known world at that time. And it's continued to spread. Every time there's new worlds discovered, there's new churches built. Did you realize that? It's amazing how God has worked through the centuries. And it started from here in Acts 2. Churches, churches, churches begun. All through the New Testament, you'll read about it. Why are your books called Ephesians and Colossians and Philippians? Why are they called these things? And there's other books that we don't have in the Bible to other churches. Other letters. People writing to this church, to that church. Church, 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 church. Do you understand it? That's the mission. We plant churches. Communities of God's people where God is on earth, where God touches lives, where God transforms people, where there's joy, where there's wonder, where there's awe and praise, and people are healed, and people are delivered, and people are changed. This is the vision of the church. And so Acts 2 is so important. People didn't just raise their hand. There's no concept in the New Testament of a Christian who doesn't go to church. Oh, I believe. You know, I'm a Christian, Yeah, but I don't go to church. Well, you're not a Christian then, biblically, because you should be added to the people of God. 
Lost myself. Be there in a minute. Okay, we'll move on then. Ephesians 2. In Ephesians 2, the first half of Ephesians 2 is a great statement of the gospel for the individual. This is what happened to you as an individual. The second half of Ephesians 2 is all about what happened in the church. The effect of this gospel on the people, the effect of this gospel on individual people when they came together is seen in the second half of Ephesians 2. The effect is amazing. The effect is extraordinary. If you follow this gospel of the first part of Ephesians 2, what happens is you get launched into this community that is amazing because it breaks every barrier down. And that's what Ephesians 2, the second half, is all about. The breaking of barriers. Our son-in-law, Biama, Jackie was telling me he's just put something on Facebook about forgiveness. Or, there was something about forgiveness, wasn't it? And, yeah, being, being taught by his family to forgive. It's being one of the most important lessons for life. Being taught to forgive. And some comments coming back to him, you know, what, what, why? Why should I forgive? Well, just think about every conflict in the world. What is it about? Unforgiveness. That's what it's all about. You, you know, we've had these marches in Belfast again. You think, oh, for goodness sake, how much longer are they going to provoke one another for? You know, when Jackie and I were going out, when, before we were even married, this thing exploded again in Northern Ireland. And still they provoke one another. How long are they going to go without forgiving? What about everywhere else? You think of any, anywhere. It's about the inability to forgive. It can be wrapped up in all sorts of ways. And of course, the Bible teaches that wars and rumours of wars will continue. Because people don't forgive. They hold grudges. They're belligerent. They're after their own ideas. Yes, and I know we needed to fight Hitler and there's a just war. But what I'm saying is, look, guys, in the Church of Jesus Christ, it's all about forgiveness. And there is this extraordinary power in a unity of the church. You know, the Bible talks about it in the Old Testament. You know, the, God loves it. He pours over the unity, you know, down the oil down Aaron's beard and all that stuff. You know, I mean, the Bible talks about it again and again. To be in unity is to have the blessing of God poured upon you. Do you want that? I want that for this church. To have the blessing of God poured upon us. Look at us. Look around now. Don't ever hold a grudge against anyone in this room. Please. Deal with it. You know, many years ago someone said to me that a certain person in the church held a grudge against me because I walked past them without speaking to them on one Sunday morning. (laughs) 
And they said, you know, David, that's your problem. You walk past people without speaking to them. Yeah, okay, uh, I'm trying to get from A to B, past all these people, and I don't quite know how to handle it, and, I, you know, it's difficult. I need to speak to this person, and in between there's several people. And most people understand that. Most people, you know, I know I need to smile. Over coffee this morning, you can check me out. I will go around smiling. Okay, I, I know that. I know my resting face is a frown. <laughs> I just need to keep reminding myself, smile, smile. But that's, that's not the point. The point is this, let's forgive one another and let's be in unity because that's what the church is about. It's about breaking every barrier. You know, Ephesians 2, the second half there, the main barrier talking, Paul is talking about is between Jew and Gentile, between the Jews and every other nation on earth. They had, a, they had a fault-finding position with every other nation on earth. Every nation around them was not good enough to enter into their temple. You know, the court of the Gentiles, right on the outside, this dividing wall, this sign up, you know, you pass this wall, be it on your own head when we kill you. It's just, I, and it's incredible, but the church breaks every bitter hatred in the world. That's the power of the transforming by the Holy Spirit. That should be in the church. The church should be like that. We should be the people who can demonstrate to everyone in Hatfield that there is no black and white in Christ. We should be demonstrating as a church to everyone around that in Christ every barrier is broken. That I, who have two degrees, do not look down on him who has no O-levels. And I do not look up to him who has more degrees than a thermometer. I don't. Because in Christ, we're loved of God together. God loves each of us individually, powerfully. God loves us so much that he would die for us, each of us, individually. What a redeeming power that is. Isn't that extraordinary that you can be sitting next to someone whose background is totally different, whose intellectual capacity might be totally different, whose social class might be totally different, but the barriers are gone! Oh! They're gone. Of course, we have some trouble sometimes adjusting to that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is in our hearts, the barriers are gone. You know, I was getting so passionate once in Brentwood preaching away. I just lost it. I, used, I, I was getting so passionate. I was using language that I used to use when I was younger. And of course it was non-PC. And I didn't, I just shot into it without realising and, you know, crash, wallop, you know. Someone said to me afterwards, God, I couldn't believe you said it. I saw it winding up to it. I couldn't believe you said it. 
sometimes we need time to, you know, to work these things out of the tracks of our brain, you know? Sometimes. But in our hearts, every barrier goes. Every barrier goes. Rich, poor, educated, uneducated. Every barrier goes. Every social class and background. We are together in Christ. New creations. Because in Ephesians 2 it says that out of these two, Jew and every other nation, out of these two groups, God himself made one, what, by binding them together in compromise? No. He didn't sit down with the two. God did not sit down with the two groups and some suggestions as to how they might, you know, work out some concordat between themselves. No, what he did was he said, I'm taking you and I'm making you into one new man. It's new. Hallelujah. It's a new testament. It's a new covenant. It's a new salvation. It's new. People are made new. People are created new. I was talking to Phil about his sermon when he, it was a few weeks ago. Now we were reviewing his sermon. And he had this wonderful phrase in that sermon. I was in Russia. I didn't hear it. But you guys remember it? He had this magnificent phrase. You are never not a new creation. I mean, it was just extraordinary. As I'm listening to it on the, on, on, from the website, I'm thinking, it just, it just hit me. Wham! You are never not a new creation. This is the gospel, guys. This is the church of Jesus Christ. People who are always new creations in Christ. No wonder the church is the most powerful force for transformation in the world. There's nothing like it. There's no club like it. There's no medical center like it. There is nothing like it. The church is God's answer to the world. The world has some issues. The world has some, some ideas about answers. But the church comes with the gospel that transforms lives and piles people together in a new community that will glorify God and praise him forever. Hallelujah. I hope you're getting excited about the church. What a church to belong to, eh? What a church to belong to. Every nation, tribe and tongue. This is why these flags are so important to us. Every barrier broken. Supposing, supposing the queen arrived... Just imagine, you know, the queen arrives. They roll up the rolls, you know, and the motorcycle outriders, and they're all left outside, and in comes the queen on her own. Okay, she's come to see our church, to join our church. She's going to come every Sunday in future. Supposing she walks in like that, you know. What, I mean, how do you treat the queen who's born again? when she turns up at your church? What do you do? What do you call her? Hello, Lizzie. Come and meet some other... We've got some other Lizzies here. Come and meet the other Lizzies. What do we, what do we call her? Mom? Well, we probably have because she wouldn't answer to anything else. Probably she's forgotten how to do that. I mean, what, you know, cup of tea... You know, when you join this church, Queenie, um, what, we, what we do is 
we, we, when people join this church, you know, we, we put a flag up for their nation. And, uh, you know, oh, <laughs> we've already got yours. Never mind. We could put up the royal ensign, I suppose. We haven't got that, have we? Would you like to pray for Britain while you do it? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be just amazing? But utterly possible in the Church of Jesus Christ. That's what's amazing. It is possible. You know, we tend to just think of, well, you know, the, the down and out, so the guys on the streets in rough conditions and rough times, and, you know, how will we deal with that and how we'll handle that in the life of the church? Of course, that is on God's heart. But the Queen's no different to you and me before God. And so finally, the Bible's got several pictures of the church. You see, we could have done a series on these pictures of the church. The Bible has these pictures of the church. The people of God, we've touched that a bit. The church defines the people of God in a sense because the people of God are those who are filled with the Spirit. When you become a Christian, you get filled with the Spirit and you are added to the people of God because the, the, the filling of the Spirit is the marker of the people of God. When you're born again and given the Spirit, you're marked with a seal that will take you into eternity. It's called the Holy Spirit. And that is God himself. It's also called the body of Christ, the multifaceted body of Christ. You know, the bit in Corinthians about all the bits of the body and, the, and, and if we need everything, we need all the, all the bits of the body, don't we? What would it be like if we had no eyes? We need eyes. The church needs every person in it. Did you know that? It's not a question of, oh, some of the people here make up the multifaceted, gifted body. No, everyone does. Everyone does. You are not excluded. Nobody's excluded. You make us complete. You know, God has a completion about every year, if you like, or every month in the church's life. There's a completion about it. Every person is important. And when someone's added to that, they are equally important. And it just keeps expanding, but it stays that everyone makes us complete. We're the bride of Christ. That's another picture the Bible uses. The bride of Christ. We started with that one in Ephesians 5. The bride of Christ. A beautiful bride. So, corporately, together, and with every other church in the world, we make up this wonderful, beautiful bride of Christ. You may not feel beautiful. You may not look beautiful. I don't look beautiful. When you see yourself on these videos, you know, it's horrifying. Okay? Nobody told me Stop twiddling your thumbs. <laughs> Nobody said. They're useless producers. They didn't tell me to stop fiddling with my thumbs. You know, I was sitting there going like this. I had no idea I was doing that. Jackie said to me, do I really sound like that? Do I really have a voice like that? It's, it's revealing, isn't it? 
Together, we are beautiful. Together, God has created something that will go on being beautified, that will go on being sanctified, that will go on getting, going from one degree of glory to another until Jesus comes. For he's going to have a bride presented to him who is beautiful and spotless. That will be the day. That will be the day. The temple of Christ, the temple of the Holy Spirit, sorry, in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 2, at the end there of that second half of Ephesians 2, he talks about the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the dwelling place of God. We've touched on that one already. And the army of God, we're people on a mission. We're soldiers in a battle. We are winning the battle. Of the increase of his government and kingdom, there will be no end. We are winning the battle. The devil is defeated at the cross and uh, he's awaiting his final defeat on the day. We are in an army. So this local church then, do we reflect all that? Well, we're going to do a little series coming up now. We have a vision for this church that we are people transformed by Jesus, that we're being, walking in the Spirit and that we are on a mission with the Father. So we have these vision, this vision and we have values as well about worship and word. And when you join the church, you go through uh, the booklet, the starting point booklet, and you have these values mentioned. Worship and word, community and grace, the theology of grace which sets us so free. But we also have goals, and our goals currently are these, to be international, to be integrated, and to be influential. The three I's. We're a three-eye church, and that's what this series coming up will be about. So we have here a pile of books, which won't work like that. Okay, so you need to take one of these and pass the rest on. Hello. Okay, so you're being given a bookmark which you can use to remind yourself of each subject each week. The mini-series on Influential, Integrated and International. I want to recommend some books about the church. Okay, there are many books about the church. These are the books on the bookstore about the church that we have. And I want to recommend that you read some of these. Well, you can read all of them. I recommend you read all of them, to be honest. But there are particularly ones. This is The Irresistible Church by Wayne Cordero. The Irresistible Church. Do you want to be an irresistible church? Ah, oh, it's a great title, isn't it? I, I think it's fantastic. The Irresistible Church. It's 12 traits of a church. 12 aspects of church life, if you like. Uh, very important. Joshua Harris, Stop Dating the Church. Okay, great book to challenge you to get stuck into local church. If you think, well, I don't know whether I want to join a church or not, you read this one, Stop Dating the Church. Okay. 
Cherry Virgo, the spirit-filled church, which is what we want to be. There's another, these are probably the top three that I would recommend. The spirit-filled church, <clears throat> the irresistible church, and stop dating the church. Oh. And then there's others. Philip Yancey, why church, why bother? They think up some great titles, don't they? David Devonish, what on earth is the church for? God's stump, the church in all its glory. (laughs) Christ's radiant church, John Hosier, which is more about the end times. And does the future have a church? Terry Virgo again. Does the future have a church? Yes. Bet you didn't guess that was the answer. (laughs) So guys, the church is important. The church is our way forward. The church is vital. It's not just important. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you founded the church. Thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit came and set us all on fire. And we pray, Father, for the fire to continue with us. Just as John started this meeting with that picture of the fire, so we want to finish it, Lord, and say, may the fires of Pentecost continue to burn in our hearts for the church and the mission of the church to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.